Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Just before I begin preaching, I'd like to do two quick things. Um, One of them is a book commercial for a book that you guys offer free every week. And this little book by Don Whitney, Praying the Bible. If you have not read this, there are still copies available. And this actually is yours. I took it off the table when I came in. Um, You should take this and read it. It will help you enormously as you pray. And much of my message today is a combination of this book, um, a few messages on preaching that I've heard, and then Daniel Patz, who is preaching at my church this morning, preached a message on meditation uh, three, four weeks ago. And so between trying to learn how to pray from more experienced Christians, to learn how to pray from good resources, I want to apply that as I look at the scripture with you this morning, and as we talk to the author. So in just a moment, I would like to pray for us. The second thing that I want us to do before I start, um, because it's not really part of my message, is just say thank you for having me. Um, It is a privilege to come and preach. Uh, A lot of people have asked, uh, as we've been doing this little pulpit swap just this week, um, why are you guys doing this? And I just want to give you two reasons. Um, the, The first is that it really increases the unity between our churches. Um, I know your church has prayed for mine because John has told me, and I appreciate that so much. Um, Our church has prayed for yours. Uh, In fact, before you guys voted on whether or not to become one church as Village Bible Church, uh, our church prayed for you the morning of the vote, and our church prayed for you afterwards as we were able to report and celebrate what God had done here. And we will continue to pray for you as you walk together with all of the awkwardness and challenges and difficulties that come in two churches becoming one. Uh, and so we have prayed for you. The advantage of doing something like this is now you have a face Whereas maybe before you didn't know who you were praying for, you at least have met me if you've not met people from our church. And so it increases unity. It's number one. It increases the unity between bodies. The second thing that it does, I know your pastor and your pastors, I should say, their goal is for the word to be exalted so that you as church members know God directly. We don't believe that pastors function as some sort of priest halfway between. We believe our goal is to help you know God directly through his word. And so if you love your pastor, there's actually a little bit of a danger that you begin to love the preacher as much or even more than the message. And so in order to just lovingly say, we want you to know the word, sometimes it's good for someone you don't know to bring the word. And that way, if I'm crazy, it's super easy for you to dismiss me as a lunatic. But if I bring you the word faithfully, the word is exalted and you can completely forget me. And that's fine. So two reasons. It helps our churches have unity and it exalts the word and brings down the value of the messenger a little bit. Those are the two reasons why I'm here today. And with that said, um, my church is actually beginning their service uh, they, they started about 12 minutes ago, 
So I would like to pray for all of us as I approach the word for us and pray for them as they begin their their message today. Our Father in heaven, Lord, it is your word that spoke us into being. It is your word that decreed salvation even before creation came into being. Lord, the scripture says you spoke and it came to be. And Father, it is your word that brings dead souls to life. And it is your word that feeds hungry saints. And God, I pray that as your people have gathered all over the world, whether it's in this congregation here or the congregation of First Baptist of Holly or Faith Church in Linden or any of the many churches that we're in fellowship with, I ask that we would feast that there would be an abundance and joy, that no one would leave hungry, and that everyone would leave rejoicing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message this morning is Talking Back to God, Praying as You Read the Bible. Talking Back to God, Praying as You Read the Bible. And I meant it to be a little bit memorable, uh, because there is a sense, there are passages of Scripture where the person talking back to God is being almost cheeky or irreverent or almost rude, saying, God, where are you? God, how can this be? And I believe that when we pray, we should be honest with the Lord about the things that we think and feel. He knows anyway, and as we talk to him, I believe that we will find hope and help, and we will find our sins removed, and we will find strength to follow the word and to obey it, but it begins partly in hearing and partly in responding. If you have a favorite author or maybe a favorite musician, for me, one of my favorite musicians is a guy named Phil Keggy. He is an incredible guitarist. Uh, He plays a diverse style, so he's got some fantastic instrumental folk music that actually, uh, when Isaac was born, the doctor said you could bring a playlist in. And so I brought this beautiful acoustic music in, and, and Isaac was born to that music. And so it's added something to it, and I just appreciate that so much. And yet, as I listen to Phil Keggy's different music, I, I've very rarely done it in the presence of the musician. I, I've seen him play a few times in concert. Uh, and I've been able to go up and talk to him, shake his hand, and tell him I appreciate his music so much. Do you know what would be really, really weird? Is if I listened to his music in the presence of the musician and just didn't talk to him. Just acted like, man, this is so great. Oh, I love the melody. I love the rich complexity and the way the instruments weave together to make something more complex and yet so simple and beautiful. And he's sitting right there like, yeah, man, I like that too. I I did that. And yet, so often, when we read the scriptures, we make a couple of errors. And I am really preaching to myself as kind of a hungry man longing for the presence of God and wanting to experience it more on a daily basis. And what often happens is 
If you have begun to read, and I know because I talked to your pastor, he's encouraged you to follow a great plan. Your bulletin has the passages of scripture that you guys are going to be reading this week. And so I know this is something you value. This is something many of you do. If you begin that, that's almost like stage one of a multi-front battle. Because if you begin to read, one of the most common things is to read and completely forget what you read. And because we have so many responsibilities and so many competing loves and affections, so often we read quickly, we close the Bible, we may say a quick prayer, but our souls kind of leave just as hungry as before we even started. And so what I want to do with you this morning is I'm going to take three chapters but move quickly and selectively And I want to read with you in a way that my goal is to experience something of this every time I read the Bible. And so I not only read and quickly retain hopefully something, but I talk to the author. And I take what scripture says to me and I respond back to God with something. There's a whole host of legitimate ways that you can respond, and I'm just going to look at a couple of them with you. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you, open to the beginning of your Bible, page one. I started here because this is where most Bible reading plans start. And so if you are reading your Bible, whether you're following the, the plan that is in your bulletin, or whether you're just trying to read from Genesis to Revelation, this is probably where you're at. And as I read it this year, Some of these things occurred to me during my morning reading, and I was able to talk to the Lord about them. And then some of them, I've been thinking about this for about three weeks now, and so I've made some notes, and I want to help us. And what would make the most sense, it would be really silly for me to tell you, I believe we should talk to the author, and I'm going to spend, you know, 40 minutes telling you about the Bible without actually talking to the author. That would be really weird, right? So I want to apply this while I preach. I want to pray with you, and we will pause a few times as we go through this and talk back to God, talking to the Lord while we hear from him and read his word. So Genesis, starting in verse 1 of chapter 1, I want to encourage you to follow along as I read. Scripture says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. I want to pause there for you. Um, And already I'm skipping things that we could stop and meditate on. But when I use the word meditation, I mean a careful kind of focused attention that is seeking to understand something that really is there. Okay, this is not free-form imagination. This is what do these words mean, and what do they mean in my life? 
And as God is talking about creating the heavens and the earth, and he's talked about creating water and separating the earth from the waters above, one of the things that I want to pause and meditate on for a moment, something that farmers especially appreciate, but the weird and strange miracle of how God has caused water to work on our planet. John Piper wrote a devotional about this a few years ago, and I was struck by it. He was reading in Job, and Job talked about the miracle of rain. And I, I have thought occasionally, like the dangers of drought, like if there's a drought, you pray for rain, right? We, we all hear about California forest fires, and as farmers, many of you would appreciate the danger that extended periods of, of dryness pose to crops. So there's a sense where God causes this to come or holds it back, and so when it comes, that's a miracle, right? But being even more detailed and thinking about, you know how many gallons of water are suspended above our heads constantly? Uh, so I didn't either, so I googled it. And it's a guess. It's an estimate, right? It's not constant. But there are anywhere between, and this is a really important decimal, 3.75 million billion gallons. Okay, that's, that's more than a few swimming pools. Or the decimal point might be in the wrong place. I actually couldn't figure it out because there were several websites and somebody's wrong, but I'm not a scientist. I don't know who. It could be 37 million billion gallons up suspended in our atmosphere. Now, that in itself seems like a strange kind of miracle because most of us, you know, like we understand how gravity works, right? When rain falls, it just splashes down and, and makes everything wet. But it's more complicated than that. Because if God dumped water on us, like you took the cap off of a, a gallon jug of water and just, like, that would totally destroy our fields. There would be no crops. Yet God has engineered it so that with a weird combination of static electricity and dust, Water droplets are exactly the right size to fall without evaporating, and they are not so large that they just destroy everything in their path when they land. The weird way that God has orchestrated and designed water in our planet is not a small detail. It makes life possible. And just in the first few verses of Genesis, we read how God describes and how God creates the earth and the water that's suspended above it. And God says, this is very good. Now, there's a lot more that could be said. But I would like to just pause right now and praise the maker of this water and the one who describes it. So would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven... Lord, you have given us such a joyful gift in water. Something that sustains us and refreshes us. Something that makes life possible. You have even given us evidence of your good design and how strange and unlikely it is that life could even exist anywhere. And your word records that you did all of this just through the power of your word. Lord, we praise you, and, and Father, we ask that you would forgive us for all of the times that we have seen your goodness and not even thought about the fact that you are the one who created it, and you are the one who blesses it. And Father, we want to recognize that goodness right now, and we want to praise you for it. And so we give you thanks, and it's in Jesus' name, amen. Now, 
don't worry, I'm going to go faster through the rest of the text. But I will pause for a few other places. So, look, look with me. We stopped in verse 8. Now look at verse 9. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Now, I do want to pause and talk about earth, because I am a city kid, and I have often not appreciated earth. But if you stop and think about the, the earth that God made, the more you think about it, and this is what I mean by meditation, the more wonderful and incredible it becomes. And one of the reasons meditation is really, really critical is because most people deal with some level of either depression, anxiety, or anger. There's, there's some sort of negative emotion that will dominate you. And if you want to benefit from the word of God, you need to think about it carefully enough that it breaks through that emotion. And so what I'm doing with you right now, some of you are like, man, I don't care about this at all. And I'm, I apologize. There's something in the text for everyone here. And I don't know where your heart is at and what you will love and value. So I'm just trying generally to throw a bunch of stuff out there. And I'm hoping something here will amaze you and cause you to think God is good and I can talk to him as I read his word. So if you think about the earth that God has made, okay, like farmers, you can appreciate dirt where you can grow stuff. There, there's living nutrients in the soil. That in itself is a good thing. But have you thought about the hidden things that exist all over the world? Uh, some of the most beautiful country I've ever been in is, is in the Upper Peninsula, visiting Copper Harbor as a little kid and, and walking along the beaches on Copper Harbor and, and seeing copper ore that was so pure that there are green veins sparkling along the shore. And this is amazing. This is incredible. And this is, this is a country that, you know, it's, it's kind of civilized. There are people who live there, but it's not as if any human engineered it or designed it. Most of human history, no human has been looking at it. It's just the delight and the glory of God to make beauty everywhere. And that copper ore exists I think partly to glorify God and to say there are incredible things that God has put in the earth. Think about diamonds. Okay, with their incredible clarity, you shine a light on a diamond and the light bounces in a million different ways with all the colors that God has designed for us to see plus the ones we can't see. And those diamonds are hidden somewhere in the dirt. God has designed an earth where there is treasure everywhere. And the earth... We just walk on it. Those of us who aren't farmers don't even think about it. You know, it's just my boots are muddy and it's kind of irritating, right? But if you think about it, what God has made is absolutely incredible. And there are glories all around the earth. In fact, different places on earth have different glories. And when we learn about them, we can understand that God is even greater than we realized just from our little corner of the globe. But not only that, okay, look, look with me. We'll, we'll pray in just a minute. Look at verse 11 with me. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. 
And the earth brought forth vegetations, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Now, pause for a minute, okay? So here, I would like every person here to do something. I want you to think of your absolute favorite plant. And that's a really general category, okay? Like for me, if I were you know, a nine-year-old boy living in Ferndale, probably my favorite plant was the giant tree in my friend's yard. And we would climb it, and he had a rope in it. We would jump out of the tree, and it, just so many hours of delight. Like we climbed a little higher and be like, I don't know if I can jump this high. And we climb a little lower, and then we jump out, and then we'd be like, ah, man, I really chickened out. I think I can do better. So I'm going to climb a little higher. I'm like, I don't know. And just the hours of delight. That was probably my favorite plant that God created when I was a nine, 10 year old little boy. What is your favorite plant? Maybe it's a flower. As an adult, I remember walking in the woods and seeing a purple crocus poke through the snow before anything else was alive. And just their beauty and the hope that spring is coming and this cold is not going to last forever. Maybe thinking about the giant redwoods in California. I've never seen them. It's on my bucket list. I'd love to go and see the trees that are 2,000 years old, that are so large, that roads have been built through them and they don't die. Those redwoods show something of the glory of God. So whether something massive and almost indestructible like a redwood or something fragile, I remember for the first time, um, I'm not a plant guy, okay, so I, I don't know much about this, but I, I saw a, a, a little columbine flower in my yard for the first time, and I, I was probably like 35 years old, okay, so like I've never seen this before, and it, it's its petals were so paper thin and it seemed so incredibly fragile. I thought, how can this thing even survive? But there it is. And God made it with such a, a beauty and a complexity that its fragility shows the amazing glory of God, that he values not only really large and strong things, but really small and beautiful things. And so far, we've only gotten through plants. And so we can pause and be specific about what we see here, and perhaps your heart will begin to sing. And so if it is, I want to invite you to pray with me now again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, even in our broken world where there is so much evil, we ask that you would help us to see your good hand in the natural beauty around us. And as we read about how you have created it and you have said that it was good, Father, let us remember your goodness in our own lives. That if you are able to give a tree stability and strength, you can give us stability and strength. And if you are able to design with such delicate beauty something so fragile that you can certainly sustain us. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for forgetting your goodness. And Lord, I thank you so much that you have given us so many reminders of it. I pray that you would open our eyes to see more of your goodness, both in your word and in the world that you have made. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I do want to move a little bit faster. So God describes verse 14 
the, the lights and the expanse of the heavens that separate the day from the night, and let them be signs for seasons and for days and years. Let them be lights and expanse of heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. I, believe it or not, I'm going to skip that, okay? Like, you can meditate on the vastness of the universe and the glory of the stars, and it's incredible, but we've got more to see. So do that on your own time. Verse 17, and God sent them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate light from darkness, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So I was talking to my brother probably a couple of years ago at this point, And I said, Ben, what... What comes to mind when I say something like, God is kind? What, what do you think of in your life when you see the kindness of God? And he said, a trout. He, he's kind of an odd guy. But, but, but what he meant was, he had a moment where he was fishing, and he saw a trout jump. And just the risk, like, if you appreciate diamonds, trout are like, living diamonds. Like the light hits them and, the, and, and it bounces off in a million beautiful different colors. And again, just like a diamond is buried under the earth, 99% of the time the trout is invisible underwater and nobody's looking at it. And, and my brother who was fishing saw this trout and, and watched it and he just he said it was like this moment where he was like, God must really love me because he let me see that. It was, it was a beautiful moment where I saw the goodness of God and the joy of creation is available to anybody who's willing to stop and look at it. And the Bible right here describes two very, very big general classes of things, things that fly and things that swim. That's what's created on this day. It's not super technical, and our modern scientists would disagree with all kinds of, they'd be like, you have water animals, and, and you have things that are not animals in the water. Like, don't worry about it. If it's something that, that swims, this is the day it was created, and if it was something that flies, this is the day it was created. And, and if you think about the crazy diversity there, uh, one of my favorite animals in the whole world is a bat. I think bats are absolutely, some of you just shuddered. Here's why I love them, okay? I hate mosquitoes. Um, and bats eat mosquitoes, and then also they have this sense that is not vision, but it lets them exactly and accurately know the location of something that they can't see. That's amazing. And the created order here shows God's goodness and creativity and kindness. Uh, I've heard some people say, man, why did God even create mosquitoes? Because I think they're also created on this day. We, we, you know, he doesn't tell us exactly, but it, they fly, right? Here's what I think. If, if we had not fallen, mosquitoes and bedbugs would be the funniest practical joke in God's creation. Because just, I mean, even in a fallen world, you can appreciate this. If you let loose a couple hundred mosquitoes in your friend's tent, and then the next morning they're like smacking and itching themselves, it is funny. And in a sinful world, it's really mean and cruel. But in a world without sin, I still think it would be funny. In any case, God has created a world full of joyful diversity, and on 
every day we see his goodness. Now, in order to appreciate that we can't just praise God for his creation, we have to look at kind of my second main point for the day. And it's that God made man to have dominion in this creation. And so look at verse 26 with me, where God describes the moment that he makes man, mankind. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. Now, I believe that one of the reasons God created the world with such awesome glory and magnificence is because it helps us know him. Okay? So there's a, there's a danger in any good thing that you only look at the thing and you fail to see through it to the maker. Okay? So when we've talked about bats or when we've talked about diamonds or any of those things, all of those things, people can forget that there is a good maker. But if you know the maker, all of those things actually help you know him better. And so when God says that he created man and, and wanted him to have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth, that dominion is not just for us to build ourselves up and enjoy all those good things. That dominion is to understand that God is the one who rules over the entire earth. And for those of you who are parents, I think God designed this so that we understand more and more what he's like as we have children, okay? Because when you're a kid, or maybe your first job, if you're not a parent yet, this works the same way, you think of all your parents' rules or your employer's rules as really dumb. Like, what, why do you insist that I go to bed? Even though, if you don't go to bed, you will be a weeping monster the next day, you resist the good and righteous rule that you must go to bed and go to sleep, right? Well, when you grow up and then all of a sudden you're the one enforcing the rules, you have this light bulb go off that says, oh, the person in charge is not a bad guy. The person in charge is trying to care for everybody all at the same time. And that's kind of a hard job. But what dominion does for man is it causes him to look back at the one who rules the universe and go, oh, this is what he's doing. Like, mankind has all these little responsibilities, and without sin, I think they would have been a joyful blessing. With sin, it's a nightmare, and we're going to get there in just a minute. But the dominion that God gives man is intended to help mankind know that there is one ultimate ruler and one ultimate king. And he has shared his dominion with us because he shares good things with us. And as we exercise that dominion, we understand his good and righteous rule. In fact, so many ways, all my inadequacies help me understand God's goodness. And so this is something that we have to pause and pray about. If we've appreciated his goodness in creation, let's think about his goodness in dominion. And let's pray about it. Father in heaven, Lord, you have made us in your image with all of the joy that comes 
from relationship, with all of the joy that comes from knowledge and wisdom and intellect. God, you haven't made us like beasts. We understand things, even though our understanding is so limited and so small. You have made it possible for fools to become wise. We can grow in our knowledge, and we can appreciate your goodness more and more. Father, many of us have recognized that we need you, that we are not capable of of exercising our own dominion, that in our brokenness and in our rebellion and in our sin, our need has become so incredible that we are humbled before you. Father, we ask for your forgiveness in all of the ways that we have not exercised dominion faithfully, and we praise you that our unfaithfulness has in no way hindered your plans. That you, in your goodness, have executed your plans perfectly. Lord, we are failed rulers, but you are not. And we praise your faithfulness and your goodness. God, we exalt you as the only perfect ruler. You are the one who has never been surprised. You are the one who is faithful in love and in joy. Father, nothing has ever threatened you. You are able to handle the deepest, darkest evil that our world has ever known without losing your eternal, everlasting joy. Father, we praise you that your dominion knows no limits and no bounds and that your kingdom has no end. And Father, we thank you that in your grace and in your mercy, you have welcomed us back into your kingdom through the blood of Jesus. Lord, we ask that you bless as we continue to look and see what you have done. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, there's the goodness of creation. Then, there is the goodness of God's dominion and his sharing dominion with us. Now, if you look at chapter 2 and chapter 3, where I'm going to move kind of quickly, what you see is the fall of the goodness. And there are a couple of things that as I read this, I was really challenged to stop and pray about. And again, my main goal here is to help you talk to the author of this book as you read. These are all chapters that that you read, and I'm sure there are many things that you prayed about that I didn't even think about. But my hope is to help you in your reading be able to talk to the author of this book. So as God describes in more detail the creation of woman and the goodness of marriage, look with me at Verse 18. So this is after one of the ways that man exercises his dominion is he names all the animals and he discovers that there's nothing for him. So verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. So he's sharing his dominion right there. Verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Friends, I believe that 
part of why we reflect the image of God is because just as God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God has made it so that man and woman come together and out of the joy of their union, there are little offspring. Okay, so it's not a perfect one-to-one. It's not exactly the same, but there is a strange, there are multiple persons involved, and when their love is holy matrimony, very often God blesses them with children. And so the Father has loved the Son for all of eternity, the Son has loved the Father for all of eternity, and their union is the Holy Spirit that is a real person who is the third person of the Trinity, and so they exist for all of eternity in joy. When God makes man in his own image, he makes husband and wife who love each other, and when they love each other, they make more people. It's not an exact one-to-one, but it's a similarity that I think is part of what it means for us to bear the image of God. Um, If you've never heard anything like this before, I'm going to throw Jonathan Edwards under the bus and say it's his fault. Um, It's a helpful way of thinking about the Trinity and what it means for us to be made in God's image. In Genesis 3, you see instead of unity, you see disunity. And instead of the man exercising dominion and leadership, you see him failing in his basic responsibility to lead his wife, and you see Eve deceived, and you see mankind breaking the one command that God had given them. And so, look with me at Genesis chapter 3, and we will see in some sense creation marred. Genesis 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to a woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And because he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now I want to pause right there. The the number one thing that jumped out at me when I read this a couple of weeks ago is I just felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, You need to pray and say, God, is there anything that I'm hiding from you? As if that's even possible. But is there anything that maybe I'm even hiding from myself? That I am blind to my own sin? And, And guys, like the fall already happened. For all of us, there's got to be something. And one of the good things to pray, probably 90% of what I've done this morning, is prayers of praise, just recognizing God's goodness. But this is a prayer, like David said, 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And friends, that is a prayer that we should pray with some regularity. We need that. It's so easy for us to go astray. And when it happens, usually what happens, I don't know what sins you're prone to and what ways you might be stumbling, but usually what happens is you will find something good, just like Eve saw something that looked good, and you will start to treasure it in ways that are wrong. But because it's good, you can defend it. You can say, I'm right to love this thing because it's a good thing. That's why people who are addicted to pornography will say things like, oh, I just appreciate God's beauty. No, you don't. That is not what you are doing. But you have twisted a good thing and justified it in a way that you think it's fine, even though God says it's gross and wrong. And so one of the things that just as we daily go through the word of God, we ought not just praise him. We must do that. We ought to say, Father, you sought mankind in his rebellion. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you know that God has already sought you so that you would believe the gospel and so that you would be saved. But pray also, Father, would you keep me from any sort of sin that would hinder my fellowship? And so I just want to invite you to pray with me that way right now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there are many saints gathered here. There are many who love you. And yet, it is so easy to allow our hearts to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Just like you sought Adam and Eve in the garden and went after them because you are faithful and a merciful God, would you go after us by the power of your Holy Spirit right now? Would you convict us of sins that we have justified and things that we thought were good but that are actually evil? Would you rescue us from the sin that we love and enjoy so that instead we could find delight in you? Would you lead us in a kind of confession that brings about joy because of your forgiveness? Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. And if the Lord has convicted your heart of something, I want to encourage you to talk to somebody about it so that you can have help being prayed for and accountability so that you can walk in freedom. The last thing that I want to show you, and I have to end here because I can't preach a message without the gospel. And so I want to show you the awesome and beautiful hope. I, I know this is a familiar passage for you guys, but if we've looked at the goodness of God's creation and we've looked at the goodness of God's dominion and his shared dominion with mankind, look with me at the goodness of God's promised redeemer. After there is this sin, verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now we could read more about the curse that God puts on woman, and we could read more about the curse that God puts on man. 
There are things that we can and should pray about. Lord, man, the, the, the earth is broken and frustrated to work with in every possible way. And yet the hope that is in these verses is in verse 15. Sometimes this is called the, the proto-euangelion, the, the, the early gospel. It's the first time in the Bible that God promises to rescue sinners. So he says, I... It's God talking. He's the one doing the action. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God is promising that someone is going to come and crush the head of the serpent. That there is going to be a rescue from the evil that has plagued mankind. And the one who brings about this rescue is God. Adam neglected his responsibility, and we are still tempted towards that sin. Eve was deceived and blinded to evil, and that is still a problem for many of us. We don't want to call evil evil. We don't recognize what it is. So salvation cannot depend on us. But praise God, God takes the initiative and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The offspring that God has promised is the one who with courage will succeed where Adam failed. He is the one who with power and conviction will crush the serpent so that there is no chance of evil ever again entering into God's creation. And in this verse, we find God promising to undo what has happened in Genesis 3. In fact, friends, I really believe that what God has made is better than any other possible creation. And I, I want to walk through this just real briefly before I close. Some people have questioned, you know, how could a good God allow evil? And especially if you read the news and you're aware of what's happening in places like Gaza, there is evil that is taking place that is so dark. It has changed how I read Scripture. There used to be passages of Scripture where suffering people cried out to God and, and said violent things, and I thought, God, how could you let that be in the Bible? And now I read the news, and I think even more violent thoughts, and I think, praise God that you are merciful. This is insane, because evil is so dark. And yet, I believe that God created this world knowing that it would fall. I don't think it was like an oops, this is plan B. I think he knew it would fall because in this world, we see the goodness of God fixing something that you and I would have walked away from. We would have scrapped it and said, forget it. But our God is so good that rather than scrapping this and saying, I'm going to undo it so it doesn't even exist or I'm going to torture these people forever, he says, I'm going to use the seed of the woman that sinned. I'm going to use her seed to undo it. And mankind that is made in my image will have a future where for all of eternity, we rejoice in the goodness of God restored. 
There is a goodness here that would not exist. If God had created a world where there was no fall, we would have no concept of the depth of his love because everything was easy. God didn't suffer in that world, but in this world, God himself was willing to suffer. And a God that's willing to suffer is a God that is more glorious than a God that has an easy, painless existence. This is a God who demonstrates his love for you in that in the moments after sin existed, he immediately pursued the sinners and offered them a promise of grace. Friends, that is the God that we are talking to every morning when we open our Bibles and try to hear from his word. Be humbled that the God that spoke the world into existence is available for you just as soon as you call out to him. That you can hear his word and he eagerly hears your prayers when you talk to him. And so I want to end this message talking to him about what we've seen in Genesis chapter 3 and encourage you to continue this conversation every single day as you seek the Lord and his word. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, God, we praise your goodness and your mercy. God, we don't deserve for you to pursue us. We don't deserve your forgiveness. We don't deserve anything but your wrath and your judgment. And yet, just like you pursued Adam and Eve and offered them immediate promise of rescue, you have pursued us and offered us the promise of rescue in Christ. Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to cling to that hope. And God, give us a daily rejoicing in your goodness. Father, often you feel distant and we wonder if you hear. But I pray that as we seek you in your word, and as we meditate on it, and as we talk back to you, that we would find you close, and that we would find comfort and encouragement. Lord, I pray that you would give us a delight in spending time with you, just like Jesus had when he was here in his earthly ministry. So that just like the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, we would learn to pray in the same way where we have real communion and fellowship with you. God bless us as we seek you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.